0: Good morning. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready, Vacation Bible School, friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Yay! First scripture is Acts 9, verses 1 through 18. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson
1: continues Paul's story from Acts 9. If you're following along in your Bible, we are in the second half of verse 19. For several days, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked the name? and has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Saul spoke and argued with the Hellenists, but they were attempting to kill him too. When the believers learned of it, They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Since the day of Pentecost, Danny and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the birthday party for the church, Danny has been preaching from the book of Acts. After Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, we remember that the Holy, Descent, the Holy Spirit came in very dramatic style, visibly as fire audibly and tactily, as wind, and communally as people spoke in these different languages, not their own. Many were received into the fellowship and received the Holy Spirit, and they formed strong bonds of community. Peter preaches publicly later and boldly states the case for Christ to the disapproving temple leaders. The first deacons are appointed to serve the needs of the new community. But those who had killed Jesus were not going to sit idly by as his followers continued to testify to his lordship and to his resurrection. In Acts 7, one of the first group of deacons, his name was Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death as he defied the gag order of the temple leaders placed on Jesus' followers. And it was young Saul, a zealous Pharisee about whom we've read to you this morning, who stood by as Stephen was stoned to death. Now, of course, we know this young Saul as the Apostle Paul, and we've just heard the story of his dramatic conversion. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul would have been his Greek name. So today we join Saul on his 150-mile trip from Jerusalem to the Syrian city of Damascus. When the persecution broke out against the Christians, many of them fled to Damascus. And Saul is determined to squelch this Jesus movement and that only really seems to get stronger after Jesus' death, doesn't it? People all over Jerusalem are telling stories of encountering the resurrected Jesus and claiming that God's spirit has visited them. Now to Saul's ears as an upright Pharisee, talk of a Messiah who had been crucified would have been nothing short of blasphemy. It had to be stopped, he thought. Orthodoxy depends on it. So Saul was granted the proper authorizations to arrest the people who were confessing Jesus as Lord He was driven to defend God's holy name from the heretics. Saul, the young Pharisee, was no fool. He was intelligent, well-educated, outspoken, and he was bold. But clearly, God had something different in mind for Saul of Tarsus. Our text tells us that he was blinded by a heavenly light that his companions couldn't even see and that he heard the voice of Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Get up, go to Damascus, and there you will receive your marching orders from me. So Saul is now blind, he can't see a thing and he is led by the hand with, by his companions into Damascus. It tells us that for three days, he didn't eat or drink a thing. I imagine he didn't sleep either. He waited, I know he prayed. The mighty young and bold Saul was no longer in charge. His mission to stop these these Christians had been stopped dead in its tracks. Next, the Lord Jesus appears to Ananias in a vision, instructing him to visit the much feared Saul. Ananias, of course, resists, wouldn't you? And he, but Jesus says to him, go for this is my this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the gentiles and before the kings and before the people of Israel and Jesus went on to say I will show this Saul how much he must suffer for my name you know Ananias had a case of knocking knees and sweaty brow He gathered his own people to pray for him and he went to Saul just as he he had been told. He lays hands on Saul and his sight is restored, but did you catch the words he said to Saul? The first thing he said as he entered the room is, brother Saul, what a courageous and believing man Ananias was. So lo and behold, Paul's sight is restored. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes directly to be baptized into the way of Jesus and he begins a new life, going with great surprise in the direction completely opposite of the way that he had been traveling. He goes to the synagogue in Damascus first, and he begins to preach that Jesus is the Son of God, and the people were baffled because they knew him by reputation. But Saul's words and his witness were authentic, and the people, they were compelling. The people came to believe that indeed, Saul, the persecutor of the church, had become Brother Saul. But Saul's zeal for preaching Jesus got him run out of Damascus too by the Jews there. We know something from the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia that we're not told in this particular passage, but I wanna share it to you. Somewhere in there between his conversion in Damascus and his visit late to Jerusalem, a period of time elapses and we don't know exactly how long that is in Acts. But in Galatians, what we learn is that he fled from Damascus and then he went for three years into Arabia, which was pretty close by, where he preached the gospel and he grew in God's grace. And after those three years, he journeyed back to Jerusalem to meet the ones whom he had persecuted. I found it very interesting that Saul didn't go immediately to Jerusalem. I mean, wouldn't they want to get their story straight so that they were all singing from the same song sheet? Wouldn't he want to talk to the other apostles, even ask their forgiveness for the things he had done and said against them? Sure, he wouldn't be welcomed right away, but the Christians in Damascus would have vouched for him but instead he waited three years. And this highlights something that I find most stunning about Saul's conversion to his apostleship. It was in this Damascus Road experience when he saw eye to eye the glorified high and lifted up Jesus in all of his dazzling glory and beauty It was then that God imparted the gospel message to Saul directly and in an unmediated fashion. Just like Moses received the Ten Commandments directly from God, so Paul received his gospel message directly from Jesus. Now, it doesn't conflict with the gospel message that the others were preaching, but Paul received this by very special revelation. It wasn't a natural process. It was supernatural. When he was describing his own gospel to the church at Corinth in his letter to them, he summarized it this way. He said that he received this gospel from God that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the original followers, and then to like 500 other people. And then Paul says, this Jesus appeared to me as someone untimely born or as someone who was born too late. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am and God's grace towards me has not been in vain. I loved what an 18th century commentator wrote about this conversion of of Saul he writes the conversion and apostleship of saint paul alone duly considered was of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove christianity to be a divine revelation i don't always think of it that way but it is quite remarkable this exodus and acts was pivotal in our in our new testament Paul will go on to travel the known world with great zeal for the gospel, preaching in synagogues and marketplaces, in people's homes and public squares. Um, He will tell people of the grace of God that he encountered on that Damascus road and now walks in that's now available not just for the Jews, but for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. In Paul's life of traveling to spread the Gospels, you know that he founded many churches and he encouraged them through his spirit-inspired correspondence. Paul's letters make up 13 chapters of what we call our New Testament Bible. So what are we the ordinary and plain Christian community, and those seeking to understand God to take from this miraculous story. First, like many of the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, we see that nobody is beyond God's reach or beyond Christ's redeeming. Saul of Tarsus was the very last person Jesus' disciples would have expected to join them on their disciple-making mission in the world, wasn't he? Saul's story shows us that even when we cannot see, the Lord is patiently and relentlessly pursuing people, for God's glory, for, for the spread of the gospel, for whatever God's purposes may be. Most of you know of C.S. Lewis. We remember Lewis as the writer of some of our favorite uh, children's books, The Lions, The Rich and the Wardrobe, and many others. He. Uh, was known for his Christian writings, mere Christianity, the great divorce, the screw tape letters. Um, but Lewis was not always a christian, and maybe you don 't know that before that he was for quite a large chunk of his life an atheist and really an outspoken one. Lewis lost his mother to death to cancer when he was nine years old. his father couldn 't cope and sent Clive and his brother off to boarding school when they were nine. And um, years later, Lewis would describe the years before he came to know Christ as being angry at God for not existing. Boy, if that doesn't scream pain, I don't know what does. So Lewis you know, continued on this path of atheism through most of his young life, but God didn't give up on him. His coming to faith was a long and arduous and sometimes quite argumentative journey that ended at his conversion when he was 33 years of age. Here's how Lewis describes his experience of God's gracious drawing power as he resisted God. He likens God to the great angler playing his fish, to a cat patiently chasing and plotting to catch a mouse, to a pack of hounds closing in on a fox, to the divine chess player maneuvering Lewis himself into the most disadvantageous position until at last he concedes I give up. Checkmate. Does any of that resonate with you? Have you intentionally in the past or maybe even in this very moment placed yourself beyond God's reach? Have you tried to run and to hide and felt pursued nonetheless? Do you know? Do you perhaps love someone who seems very far from God right now? You know, the Lord is patient and persistent. There is no height of fame or success that is too high for the Lord. And there is no cave so low and dark that Jesus cannot find people. Jesus is an equal opportunity lover of people, all people. He meets us where we are. He offers us grace and freedom to follow him. This happened in Saul's life and I think it happens in ours too. No one, no matter what you may think or fear, is beyond God's reach. Like Paul, like C.S. Lewis, each of us has a unique story of coming to faith in Christ. And maybe some of you have had an experience of God that resonates with the Apostle Paul's story. Jesus stopped you in your tracks and you made a U-turn and stopped and went completely in the other direction. Maybe your story was high drama. Everything changed in an instant or it seemed that way. But I imagine that if we were to try to to call this story the pattern for how God works to bring people into relationships of authentic faith, many of us would feel left outside of that circle. The story of how we first encountered Jesus is not, not nearly quite so dramatic. Perhaps um, for each of us, we've got our own story. It's different, it's unique. Do you know that Saul's story is told three times in the book of Acts? This is the first time. And the next two times the story is told, it's told by Paul himself as he is telling of his own experience with Christ before powerful and skeptical people. Pieces of the, this episode of Saul's conversion to Paul the Apostle are littered throughout his letters to the churches. As he tells of his encounter with the living Lord over and over, we notice something very interesting. Everything that happened in Saul's life before this day, this, where we find him in Acts 9, prepared him for this new season in his life when he would become the apostle of God's grace to the Gentiles. Nothing in his prior life was wasted. Not his status and birth as a Roman citizen, or his skills as a tent maker, or his studies in the scripture, or his status as a Pharisee educated in the temple. His sharp intellect, his high energy, his passion, his zeal, and even his stubbornness. Even his zeal for persecution of Christians is something that the Lord uses. He writes about it over and over again in his letters. All of his history came into playing and his, and into his new calling. When Saul met Jesus, the scriptures that he had studied for his whole life began to dance before his eyes in a new way. He was suddenly able to see that all of the Hebrew Bible was pointing toward this day when God's promises will be fulfilled in Jesus. His status as a Roman citizen may have saved his life on several occasions, It certainly made him accessible to people in seats of power. His skills as a tent maker would support his ministry, but also as a tent maker, he made friends in tent maker communities. Nothing was wasted. I uh, love what John Calvin, our great-great-grandfather in our Presbyterian corner of the Christian world, said about Paul. Paul. He wrote that God's grace is seen in Paul's life, not only in such a cruel wolf being turned into a sheep, but also in his assuming the character of a shepherd. You know that Paul went from this place to become a shepherd, a pastor, to many, many congregations, most of them filled with Gentile converts. So not a bit of Saul's story is fluff. Nothing was wasted. Saul of Tarsus was fearfully and wonderfully made for God's purpose for him. And as long as he lived, the Lord continued this work of faith and faithfulness that we see in bold relief in this particular story. And people of God, the same is true for each of us, for this congregation and for the Church of Jesus Christ around the world. We are all on a journey of transformation as we walk with the living Lord, sometimes run from the living Lord. No one is beyond Christ's reach. Those who seem far away can easily be brought near. The Spirit is always out ahead of us. We're never the first one there. We cooperate with God by bearing witness to our faith and through our faithful, fervent prayers for those who are far from Christ. So I want to ask you this Who has the Lord placed on your heart and in your mind who is in need of a friend to walk with them? Who might the Lord be seeking to reach through the ministry of this congregation? In this particular season of your life together, no one is out of reach for Jesus, and nothing in our lives is wasted with God. Everything that has happened is known to God and becomes the raw material for our own worship and service to Jesus. So, what is it about your history? As a, an individual that speaks grace and wisdom into the life of somebody else who needs to hear that? How might your gifts, your natural gifts, your spiritual gifts, um, whatever your talents are, your tent making, be given to you for God's glory? How might God use even your suffering and your doubt and your grief to bring healing and hope and peace? to the life of someone
0: else.
1: Transformation into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ begins when we place our faith in him and continues for the whole of our lives on earth. As the the Apostle Paul wrote much later to the church at Corinth, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our lives are yours. You have redeemed us by your grace. May our lives bear witness to your presence and your power. May your Spirit guide us in your will and in your ways.